0: You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 194. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co hosts, Jelan Levin and Pontus Böckmann. See
1: Stock. Всем привет.
0: Hey, San, hey, San. Ooh. Hello, hello. Our highly international podcast. (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) How have you guys been? Where have you been? I haven't been anywhere, but I am going. (laughs) So I'm packing now because I'm soon to go to Prague to attend the wedding of Claire Klingenberg. (gasps) Who listeners will, uh, of course, recognize as the head of EXO, the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, but also occasional co-host of this show.
1: Amazing!
2: Yeah, yeah. So she's getting married on Thursday, 31st. So that's the day this show goes, this episode goes out. And I will be attending there together with uh, a lot of people that I probably don't know, but some other fellow sceptics. I will give you a report <laughs> later on. It's not a sceptical event, but it, it's a, f- a fun event.
1: Oh, congrats to Claire. And I hope you have fun. <laughs>
2: you know
0: why it's a little bit weird? Because the day after... On the 1st of November, I am heading to Prague as well, but for work.
2: <laughs>
0: so that's the reason why I couldn't attend. Mm. I will be going to Prague, but mm. with a group. Too bad.
2: A day too late.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so mm-hmm. I couldn't have made it back in time to start the tour.
2: Yeah. But of course, a big shout out to Claire and Jakub and uh, congratulations. Yeah, I hope it will be a great thing. It
0: certainly is a fascinating thing to do for them to get married. I mean, mm. I wish all the best. I think they are they are a lovely couple.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
0: It's a brilliant idea to put the the date of their wedding to Halloween. It's <laughs> yes, it's just so fitting. <laughs> there will be costumes, I'm sure. Oh yeah. I'm really sorry that I cannot attend, but uh I will definitely think of you guys. Hmm? And you are, Yelena on the other side of the planet. So how does it feel?
1: Great. Feels great. What do you mean? Feels great. <laughs> <laughs> we went to a movie today with Brad and uh, we found out that we uh, we, we turned up on a wrong date. So um, actually the tickets were booked for next like Sunday, so that didn't go very well. I don't know if it has anything to do with us being on the other side of the world. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Actually, there is one thing that is different, right? The resetting of the clock for summertime or from summertime will not be occurring until the next weekend. Mm. And we already changed over here in in Europe. Yeah. yeah. So now we're just eight hours ahead of you. Yeah, there are massive differences. So (laughs) enough of silliness for today, I think. I'm just glad to be back with you guys and doing yet another recording together. And we are coming up to uh, episode 200. Very soon. It is coming up very soon. So um, we are planning a couple of things which we will not reveal at this point. But uh, you will find out. But in the meantime, we have a complete show to do here. And in order to do that, I would like to invite you, Yelena, to tell us about something that has happened on this week in Skepticism.
1: Um, this week, 29th of October 1813, William Benjamin Carpenter was born in England, and he was a physician, invertebrate zoologist, and psychologist. He, um, he's done a lot of wonderful things in science, and uh, uh, the reason why I want to mention him today is because I want to talk about something he started, uh, the, the terminology he came up with called idiomotor phenomenon he first used it in a scientific paper where he discussed the means through which the spiritualistic phenomena produced effect and by the spiritualistic phenomena he meant during spiritualist séances the you know using ouija boards table turning etc what he proposed and I totally support his his proposition here. Is that the body create some muscle movements on the unconscious level, and participants of seances would normally attribute it to some external forces and you know spirits ghosts. or ghosts. Yeah, spirits or ghosts, and they would say that it's the ghosts or spirits were moving the board or moving the table or what whatever else was happening, whereas actually it was their own body producing the movements part of of his life of of work of his life was to research and discredit these kind of so-called paranormal phenomena and uh, spiritualism and he uh, at the time used to call them epidemic delusions and mm. actually come to think about it now that we're living in 21st century however many hundreds of years uh, years later and I don't think these delusions became any less in some instances even <laughs> no. even, even more now they're just uh, differently addressed and um, now people also claim all sorts of things happening with the uh, technology that's developed etc so uh, but there you go. Yeah. William Benjamin Carpenter Very
0: good. But, uh, I, I do think that uh, the more access we have to information the more important it becomes for us to talk about stuff like this because uh, the more we know the more we are aware that uh, these phenomena do happen and occur without us even knowing about it, the the more open we are to science-minded explanation of certain phenomena like uh, what we experience in a séance. Um, have, I, have I ever told you about the séance that I attended on TV? It, it was a long time ago. On a spiritual séance, we were confronted with a psychic and uh, he tried to convince us that, that we are talking to our grandmother's spirit and I attended that uh, with my twin sister. We were sitting in front of each other and between us there was a little stool, one of the legs of which was ending in a pencil. And there was a paper on which we needed to move this stool around like in a circular fashion. And while we were constantly moving this tool, we needed to ask the spirit those questions. And the spirit was, quote unquote, answering our questions. It was really interesting to feel that some kind of an interesting force was there. But I was quite convinced towards the end that that force was my hand (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> my idiomotor effect t- took in, and I was leading the whole thing unintentionally. That was a fascinating experience, actually. Mm. That I, I It was absolutely unintentional. So the answers were easy, obviously, so you, it couldn't be complete sentences. It was like uh, yeah. one word, a yes or no, a number, or something like that. But we could work it out if you looked at the drawing, that we did with those moving stool Mm. it's a fascinating phenomenon but uh, we we don't necessarily know about it okay so thanks very much yelena and thanks very much to benjamin carpenter william benjamin carpenter as well for coming up with or coining the term all right we are moving on to something that we cannot miss when uh, pontus is on the show So, have you got something to poke the Pope for, Pontus?
2: Uh, Yes. So, this week will be all about the close of the Synod of the Amazon, which ended as planned on the 27th of October. So, to reiterate for people who haven't followed this, the Synod was a meeting of bishops in Rome, called upon by the Pope to decide on the church approach to the Amazon region. And we should remember that Frankie is the first ever South American Pope, so this is a subject, I guess, close to his heart. Participating were 185 bishops and other clergy, plus uh, 25 so-called experts, so that's 210 people. And out of these, I have found the names of uh, how many women, do you think?
1: None! (laughs)
2: obviously (laughs) no
1: Uh, sorry no pun intended no women
2: there were four Ah!
0: (laughs) I didn't didn't quite get it at first
1: oh for fuck's sake keep up guys the nun
2: joke there were (laughs) were no no there were no nuns but there were four (laughs) other women so the discussion we had before whether women should be able to vote or not of course Mm -hmm. they're not allowed to vote It's really uh, almost doesn't matter because they don't allow women there anyway. So, 210 people, whereof 206 were allowed to vote on the outcome. In addition to these 210 people, there were a number of secretaries and auditors and specially invited persons. For instance, uh, former Secretary General of the UN, Ban Ki moon, was there, but they were observers and not voting. So before we go into how it all ended, it's worth mentioning that during the last week of the Synod, at one point, Cardinal Claudio Humis, the organizer of the Synod, led an initiative to renew something called the Pact of the Catacombs. And it sounds just fascinating. <laughs> the Pact of the Catacombs was a document signed during the Second Vatican Council in 1965. So going down a little history lesson here when 42 bishops pledged to live in poverty and, quote, free of attachment to ordinary possessions, end quote. I don't know if, I think that they talk about owning stuff. It's not about demonic possessions, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope they were free of of, uh, demonic possessions, yes. So anyway, following this example, Cardinal Humis went down to the catacombs of Domitilla where he signed a new pact together with 40 bishops from the Synod, along with a few people of the of the experts as well. But that's only 40 bishops that joined him, which means that 145 bishops who participated in the Synod did not want to pledge to this simplicity, as they call it. I find that rather telling. Uh, getting rid of your worldly possessions doesn't seem to be very popular in the Vatican. Anyway, what was the conclusions of the actual Synod? In the end, there was a voting on three different matters. Allowing married priests in the Amazon, appointing female deacons there, and a third one, allowing for special Amazonian worshipping protocols to better incorporate local traditions. And the synod cannot decide as such. That's for the Pope. So what they voted on were recommendations for Francis. So, in the vote about married priests, 129 voted for and 41 voted against. So, that must also mean that some people did not vote, because there should be 206 votes. So, I'm, lo- I'm missing about 40 votes there. Also about married priests, the final document included the line, and I quote, in this regard, meaning uh, married priests, some were in favor of a more universal approach to the subject, end quote. And that must mean that some people there actually wanted to consider married priests, not just in the Amazon, but globally. And that would be quite revolutionary. The second question was female deacons. And they didn't even vote on female deacons as such, but, quote, opening a commission to study the possibility of female deacons. So it's... uh, there's some resistance there, I can tell. Uh, This question passed too, only 30 voting against. And then about uh, starting to develop a special Amazonian rights or protocols, this passed too, with 29 votes against. So now the big question is... So so all the controversial stuff actually passed in the final vote. And now the big question is what Francis will do about this. His, His job now is to create a document outlining the next steps. And he is free to do whatever he wants. Even theoretically he could ignore the whole synod, but that's not very likely. And He's got the real work to do now and the synod basically left it all up to him. He did close the synod with a speech where he urged everybody to be humble and to respect the indigenous traditions and the need not to feel superior to other people. So uh, that leads me to believe that we will see actual changes eventually. and. I think the interesting thing will be to follow how it will be received by the more reactionary forces in the church, because I'm sure that there are people in the church that don't like this progressive pope at all. And this, no matter how this ends, this synod is a big thing, and uh, it will no doubt uh, be part of Francis' legacy, whatever comes of it.
0: Hey, his legacy is... um... I'm afraid, and and I do have uh, conversations with people about the Pope, especially when it comes to places that we visit. And uh, uh, for some some reason, the Pope almost always comes up. Hmm. And a lot of people only see this open-minded, very gentle, very kind personality hmm. that he portrays. They they usually don't know anything about different policies that he follows and how he fails to address a couple of issues that were expected of
2: him right mm-hmm. No, he's still he's still the fucking pope isn't he i mean <laughs> you can't expect yeah. too much for as for a pope he is rather progressive but that doesn't mean that everything he does is right on the contrary he's doing a lot of he has views that are very backwards and misogynistic and and anti lgbt etc et so um, mm-hmm. and abortions of course I mean, yeah. you expect that from the Pope, but still.
0: Yeah, that's right. Thank you very much, Pontus, mm, you poking the Pope once again. And uh, we are moving on to our regular news segments. On this show, we talk a lot about vaccinations and vaccination policies as well. Uh, different countries in- introducing new kinds of policies. Some countries and more countries are jumping on the bandwagon when it comes to uh, mandatory vaccinations. However, we know very little about what the individual preferences of people are when it comes to voluntary or the mandatory approach mm-hmm. this is what was published in the european journal of public health Nicolas mayer and uh, three other colleagues published an article with the title individual preferences for voluntary versus mandatory vaccination policies and experimental analysis now one could ask the question how can you experimentally analyze such a thing such a preference because obviously yeah. you don't want people not to vaccinate their kids in a non-mandatory, voluntary yeah. uh, vaccination uh, policy. No, it must
2: be hypothetical somehow. Yeah.
0: It is hypothetical. And yeah. uh, there is a very brilliant method to do that. Mm-hmm. That is through using an online game. We will link to this uh, game that is called Vax, a game <laughs> about epidemic prevention, I think it was um, uh, developed by a, a group called Salate, and it's been available for a while. I think from uh, since uh, 2014, it will teach you the basic idea of how epidemics happen, occur, and how they spread, and how you can prevent them and there is an introductory phase, there is a a game introduction that that you can follow and you learn a lot through that. But then you can actually check and try your ideas and what happens when you make the decision of vaccinating or you don't, Mm -hmm. and what happens to you when others around you do the same. Mm -hmm. I just quickly want to say something about the results. At the beginning, the overall preference is leaning towards voluntary vaccination but the problem is that that preference gained more support as the different situations started to develop it it increased with uh, uh, the decreasing vaccination rates and in a, a certain phase of the game the vaccination rates dropped people were more inclined to accept mandatory vaccinations however when the vaccination rates were good, or there were adverse events linked to vaccinations. So the more of these events occurred, the more they were for voluntary vaccination. It's interesting. I think it can be a problem that we have to come around and we need to, to work work out how to react to that. If people don't feel that a mandatory vaccination is the right way the right thing to do, then should we follow through? Should we still go through with it or what do
2: we need to do in order to for the public to accept it? But but I I think this is more complicated than that because there are countries which have voluntary vaccinations and you still have very high vaccination rates so there are more factors here than just if it's mandatory or not it's it's really not easy and not simple
0: but uh, in those countries i do believe that i read something about
2: how those countries do a lot to educate Mm. the public Mm. and if we go over to such a country with uh, not mandatory vaccinations but still very high vaccination rates it's norway and uh, but mm. i'm not go- but i'm not going to talk about vaccinations it's about princess marta luise of norway she is known for promoting all kinds of woo and i think we mentioned that briefly before at some point she has claimed that she can talk to animals and to angels and she has founded an alternative therapy center and also co-founded something called the Angel School now known as Soul Spring don't ask what that means i don't know why she <laughs> she has she has been married before and is now divorced now she has a new boyfriend called Durek Veret who is a self-proclaimed shaman and she has toured with him under the title The Princess and the Shaman this shaman of hers has now written a book called Spirit Hacking, which describes how people can heal themselves from serious illnesses through spiritual means. The latest news is now that the publishers, both in Norway and Sweden, have decided to stop the publication of the book because, and I quote the Norwegian publisher, for example, the parts about cancer are very problematic and may be hurtful and dangerous. End quote. Yeah, I would say it could be. Among other things, the book claims that leukemia is caused by unbalances in the blood and that the author, the shaman himself, has the power to reset this imbalance. So it's quite a mess, totally bonkers. And I partly bring it up to come back to one of my opinions that I've had here before, and that is how bad monarchy is as a means of government. Princess Märta Louise is fourth in line to the throne in Norway. And the only reason she's not first in line is just because the Norwegian constitution is sexist and gives her younger brother and his children priority. So she could very well have been the next in line and could be head of state in, in Norway. And she absolutely has problematic views if i'm diplomatic and so sorry, yeah. sorry
0: to interrupt that they they are still in the same family so well yeah these idiotic ideas can spread very fast enough in a, in a certain family in a family especially if they are separated from the rest of the public yes
2: that is true however i do believe that the rest of the royal family has uh, distanced themselves from her views in this respect they don't oh, agree that's with her good. so that, that's very oh, good that's good that's good yeah but but we had an episode called Monarchy is Stupid some time ago, and this story just illustrates the point. Heads of states should be selected for how competent they are, not because they happen to be born into a particular family. That's my firm opinion. <laughs> okay. but the good news is that the book is now not being distributed, so uh, there's some backlash there. Mm, good, good.
1: So this is um, not good news. (laughs) I don't know if we're going to have any.
2: Yes, there will be good news.
1: Ah, good. (laughs) I'm glad to to hear that there's some good (laughs) news coming. Just another article on a German alternative medicine German clinic that is promoting cancer treatments. Well, actually, nobody knows what they are actually peddling. But everything that they provide in that cancer treatment center in Germany is kept in a very strict uh, secret, and it's called Halwang Clinic. It actually, unfortunately, gained popularity because one of the UK actresses, Lena Bracknell, who used to be part of cast of Emmerdale, back a couple of years ago, was collecting money to go to this clinic, and uh, she was raising money via the uh, public go Fund Me campaign. And because she was part of this very loved and very well-known Emmerdale Dale series, obviously, campaign gained the popularity, and the, unfortunately, the, the actual... Cancer treatment itself gained popularity, so she's now dead. Whether due to the fact that she didn't follow the uh, traditional methods or because she decided to opt for for alternative medicine, but she lasted a long time with her uh, stage four lung cancer over three years. Unfortunately, because of people like her, clinics like Halwa private oncology clinic in Germany gain popularity and people who are finding themselves in this position of looking for treatment for cancer that maybe they don't have treatment for and uh, the um, doctors cannot really advise them on anything, they go for it. And um, when uh, the investigation was done around the, um, this clinic to understand, first of all, who works there, Second of all, what kind of treatments they offer, you know, what the qualifications are, what the uh, treatments, credentials, like, you know, have they been uh, peer-reviewed? There was no information available at all online. Of course, they have a fancy website where there's like all these um, uh, big promises and testimonials, etc. but actually mm. they control every single interaction with media from their patients and they discourage patients to talk to anyone outside of the clinic. Yeah. Uh, which is a little bit suspicious, well,
2: as usual, the people who die they don 't come back to complain, so you don 't hear from who them die, either. yeah don 't yeah. come back
1: to complain, mm. but uh, like a lot of their uh, patients might have a treatment and then go away and then maybe die you know a few months later, maybe not necessarily immediately, mm. so the prices that these clinics charge are extortionate, and we 've talked about it before i 'm sure about other clinics. And uh, there is a case that's been sort of described in one of the articles about this clinic where a treatment for a woman's cancer cost her 120,000 euros plus other expenses that she had to pay. And uh, it still didn't work. And so, she, mm-hmm. yeah, she, she didn't recover, unfortunately. She spoke to the reporter who was the, who was doing the story on her. And she actually said that she was never told what treatment she was provided. They were just giving her some sort of uh, high level, you know, oh, it's an experimental drug. Nobody has it. You know, just yeah, peddling all sorts of stuff that don't, they can't really support with any evidence. So, again, it's just another example of um, a clinic that's uh, blossoming. There is no... I think Germany has laws and and maybe policies in place that allow these type of clinics exist because that's not the only clinic that exists there that doesn't have proven regimen of treatment and yet people still come and pay and stay and take all these things on, on, on faith. It wouldn't be possible. I, I don't imagine UK no. had many like that. No, I, I don't think not...
2: so. For some reason, Germany has become the the Mexico of Europe when it comes yeah. to cancer <laughs> clinics. That's it's well very very strange.
1: Mexico and Hungary of Europe, yeah. because I think Hungary also has quite a few of the alternative therapies yeah. places.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot a lot of people from Hungary go to Germany or Mexico to right. to go through yeah. those treatments or so-called treatments yeah Mm. yeah
1: yeah. but so yeah but when somebody like uh, this uh, Leah Bracknell gets involved and of course the, the word spreads wider and unfortunately even though the information about her death was sort of around the fact that it was an alternative cancer treatment facility it gains pop in popularity because of that so yeah
2: well unless you can turn it around now that she actually did die and and, and use it as an example to
1: well uh, maybe maybe' not,
2: don't try that
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah I know but in her in her case it wasn't uh, black and white I don't think it was uh, you it, could say it, that she died because of that particularly yeah, yeah
2: yeah no it never is because you don't know what would have happened uh, in an alternative yeah. universe where she didn't take that. You don't know yeah. what, what, what would have no, happened. No. so And so you can never say, that's why we need uh, studies with a lot of people in yeah. them, not, not just single anecdotes like that.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, clinics like that, they uh, claim to have this um, uh, unique treatment and drugs. And if they, if they have something that really helps cancer patients, why are they sitting on it? It's <laughs> a little bit unethical, I feel like.
0: <laughs> a little bit, yeah yeah but this this leads to all kinds of conspiracy theories as well yeah that they they do have the treatment they do have yes, it but but they just, are, let they're let just them, yeah, yeah no. they don't let them out because they don't want people to recover from their illnesses and uh yeah yeah, yeah. well you know uh, there is a need for the anecdotes as well because facts are never enough and especially scientific facts you need you need the emotional part you need yeah, you for know. people to to be engaged you need to to get them emotionally involved in the the situation and uh, there are more and more studies into that as well obviously conspiracy theories can fuel those emotions that prevent you from doing stuff or make you do other stuff that is that is not necessarily the right thing to do however we will get back to that uh conspiracy theories
2: and germany yeah mm. all right jelena you asked before if there would be any good news i have good news <laughs> <laughs> 24th of october was world polio day And uh, out of the three wild strains of polio known to exist, two have now been eradicated. According to an announcement on 23rd of October from the Global Commission for the Certification of the Eradication of Polio Myelitis. They they should really work on the name, but it's a good organization. Uh, (laughs) But according to this organization, another one of the strains of wild polio is now gone after decades of global vaccination efforts. So there are, or have been, three strains of polio with the imaginative names of strain 1, strain 2 and strain 3. Four years ago, strain number 2 was declared eradicated and now strain 3 is also no longer occurring in the wild, as it were. I'm sure there are specimens or or samples in in labs somewhere. But this is a fantastic win for vaccination efforts. And now, of course, we are fighting to get rid of strain one, the only one that is left. It only occurs now in Pakistan and Afghanistan. And um, it, it will still be very difficult to get the disease out because of politics and vaccine resistance in the area. Nigeria which was for a long time also a country where polio existed, hasn't had any case in three years. And that is the rules before you can declare the disease gone. So, so far in 2019, there have been 88 cases reported. And the ambitious goal is still to get rid of all of polio by 2023, which is a challenge because with the three-year rule that I mentioned, It means you should have no more cases after late next year, about this time. The challenges are great. And, uh, you know, we have the Taliban stopping vaccination efforts in parts of Afghanistan early this year. Uh, But on the good side, in Pakistan, the prime minister Imran Khan recently made eradication his top priority, with Khan himself to assume leadership of a campaign starting next month. So... You never know. Maybe we will get there eventually. We should. We definitely should.
0: Yes. One one of the things that we need is to counter fake news about all those conspiracy theories surrounding vaccination and healthcare and healthcare policies. So this is what one of the German foundations did recently... And it is called the Amadeu Antonio Foundation. And uh, that foundation was named after a um, contract worker who died in um, Eberswalde. Uh, he was from Angola and uh, he was the first known victim of uh, far-right violence in uh, the, the Federal Republic of Germany. And uh, this foundation was launched to counter and engage far-right Ideas and racism and anti Semitism. So, they put out a lot of uh, info sheets, info materials, and this time it was a brochure that uh, covers uh, conspiracy theories. So, obviously, it's in German, but I think it might be a very good idea for others to do something like that. So, first of all, a lot of the issues that we come across as skeptics. Uh, stem from some kind of conspiracy theory or or conspirational thinking, and we need to make people aware of that happening so this is why I think it 's a well structured brochure because it starts out with making it clear what conspiracy theories are and and how conspiracy theories grow and develop in, through time. And uh, they focus on politically heated issues. How Germany is not a dictatorship and uh, how it is not controlled by the lizard people. Hmm. How Islamization is not something that is happening for real because there is no intention for Germany to be turned into an Islamic state. There are a couple of those conspiracy theories that are connected to the EU and the EU controlling everything and how the press you know the public eye can be assessed as something being controlled completely by the government and how in a plural democracy it's not the case so it's it's not a complete control over it so um there are politically heated conspiracy theories that are uh, being discussed in this brochure and it's just uh, 36 pages so i think it's not too long to read and it looks very nice there are lots of um graphical materials. So I do believe that uh, this is not only interesting, but it's a, it's the right thing to do, especially by an organization that's set out to
2: counter extremist ideas. Mm. Very good. All right. So one last news item, which is also good news, Jelena.
1: <laughs>
2: we have another win for the Good Thinking Society this week. The chief of the NHS, the National Health Service in, in the UK... Simon Stevens has asked the PSA, the Professional Standards Authority, to strike off the Society of Homeopaths from their list. This comes after years of the Good Thinking Society has spread information about what homeopathy really is and that it has no proven effects whatsoever. Homeopathic remedies are, as we know, indistinguishable from sugar pills. So, in his letter to the PSA, the head of the NHS accused homeopaths to spread misinformation about vaccines, which poses, and I quote, a significant danger to human health, end quote. He also called the practice of homeopathy, quote, fundamentally flawed, end quote. Our great buddy at the Good Thinking, Marsh, Michael Marshall, was quoted as saying in the Daily Mail of all places, quote, Any organization or any practitioner who is spreading anti-vax myths is particularly dangerous right now, end quote. Which we, of course, fully agree with. So, as I said, this was actually in the Daily Mail of all papers, which is not normally... (laughs) in our eyes, regarded as a great source of health information. But they launched a pro-vaccination campaign in the UK a couple of weeks ago calling for the government to, quote, launch a mass publicity drive advocating the safety of vaccines, end quote. So even the Daily Mail can sometimes do good things. And um, they reported on this uh, letter from the chief of the NHS.
1: Well, as, as they say, even the broken clock can be correct <laughs> twice a day.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the daily mail doesn't necessarily have to be the, the daily fail. No, nope. Not always. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I suggest we move on to um another one of our regular segments, which is when someone has been really wrong or really right. I can't wait to find out which one you found this week, Pontus.
2: well it's really wrong and for our really wrong today we go to italy where there is a legal process on the way against a guy called adriano panzironi was that good andras panzironi based on how it's written i
0: think you did a good job but uh (laughs) thank you i can i'm not the authority to tell you
2: okay good uh this is the best you get from me anyway so yeah And I learned about this from our friends at CICAP, the Italian Skeptics. Mr. Panzironi, who is not a doctor and not a dietitian, but a journalist and an author, is the man behind 120 Life, which is a company that sells supplements and vitamins for millions of euros each year. Panzironi is a TV personality as well, and together with his brother Roberto... Fratello. (laughs) Fratello Roberto... He runs the Life 120 channel or Life 120 channel which broadcasts his commercials and so-called program Il cerca salute? They broadcast this 24/7 so this is a channel going on all the time. In those programs Pazzironi, what's his name? Pazzironi claims that <laughs> that isn't <Pepperoni, by> f- <laughs> Claims that by following his dietary advice and buying his stuff, you can heal every disease, including cancer, Alzheimer's and diabetes. He has written a best-selling book called Vivere 120 Anni, which means mm-hmm. living 120 years, which is how long you can live, according to him, if you follow his diet and eat his supplements. As I said, he has no qualifications other than his own word. And buying the recommended supplements that he sells would set you off about 3,000 euros per year. So that's pretty good business. Mm -hmm. Also, there have been recently new allegations come up about him receiving rentals under the table during uh, his past as a property developer. So it seems to have more than one trick up his sleeve. Sounds like a scam artist to me, but what do I know? Now, as I said, he's going to trial for abusive exercise of the medical profession and for recommending diets to people without consultation, which is a criminal offense in Italy. He has also been suspended by the order of journalists for his behavior. So, um, yeah, we'll see how this trial ends. But it's well, the good news, I think, here is that now he is going to be tried legally.
1: I'd be interested to know how much time he'll be told to serve, or or if he, if he's gonna just get a slap on the wrist and a fine.
0: 120 years.
1: <laughs> 120 years would <laughs> oh, be good. Oh, unfortunate.
2: <laughs> Actually, I forgot to mention that, but I think he is looking into maximum three years in jail, so it's not too much. Yeah. Uh, for for really. Tricking people into spending all that money and giving yeah. people hope and not knowing what he's talking
1: about so so his ba- so. his background is basically that he's invented a sugar be- pill that that he says gonna help people live until one hundred and twenty and cures all the illnesses because he said so
2: yeah, it's not sugar pills, it is some herbal things i believe oh, sorry. and, herbal and o- pills yeah <laughs> and 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 some uh, vitamin C of course always very popular with these quacks. But um, yeah, so for spreading unfounded misinformation and scamming the public with his TV channel and his book in order to sell bogus supplements, Adriano Panzeroni gets today's prize for being really wrong. Boo!
0: Boo! Boo! (laughs) We have one of these um one of these in Hungary as well. The guy is feel rich and he started out by writing a book uh, attacking public health and medicine and the medicinal practice in general. He started spreading the idea that the doctors usually are much more inclined to keep you sick because yeah yeah, because that's and it's so widespread that idea uh, that that it's it's just ridiculous but but he started spreading that silliness and he's very successful and his supplements uh, bring him a lot of income so much that when he was fined for scamming the public he just paid the fines and continued uh Telling those those uh supplements. Yeah, it's just cost of doing business for him. It's not. It's not that's a problem. That's right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's calculated. I'm sure in his budget, very...
1: he's he's got an allowance for that.
0: Yes, exactly. So it's it's, it's a part of his budget is just set aside for for paying the fees and that's it. And uh, it's ridiculous. And mm. and the guy is still running loose. Mm. Okay, so uh, that means that we are concluding the show. Thank you very much, Pontus, for Thank this you. segment. I'd like to ask you, Yelena, to hit us with a quote to actually finish.
1: All right. I've got a quote from Pauline Diana Baines, uh, who was an English illustrator, author and commercial artist. Um, she said, Believe what you like, but don't believe everything you read without questioning it.
2: Good. Short and sweet.
0: Short and sweet. Oh, I'm
1: agreeing with Pauline Diana.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> don't we all? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Okay, so thank you very much. I'd like to thank both of you for Thanks joining me today. Thanks, guys. And uh, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye.
2: Paka Bye-bye.
1: uh how shall I finish that <laughs> <laughs> I've, a... I've, I've painted yes. myself into a bit of a corner uh, let me just uh see um...
0: <laughs> to <laughs> there is a cat that's always up a his cat. head. a cat a head of a cat just grew out of nowhere um okay cats are funny see no true all right okay good.